all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. And of course, don't forget to protect your skin. Now, the temperatures may inch up another degree tomorrow, 97, the projected high on Wednesday. Uh, temperatures don't start to back off until we head into the weekend, still around 90 Friday. I'm David Maddox for MPB. Hello, Mississippi. From MPB Think Radio, this is the original Southern Remedy where the doctors are always in. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, Professor of Medicine and Pediatrics, your host at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and we are excited about today's program, something every parent, grandparent, aunt, uncle wants to talk about, and that is, is there anything wrong with my kid? We've got all kinds of help here and a special guest who's an expert in developmental and behavioral issues in children, Dr. Barbara Sanders. And I don't think you want to miss this program. If you have questions, you can already get those teed up. We're at one eight seven seven mpb ring one 672 Or you can send us an email at southernremedy at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back after the news. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Windsor Johnston. Donald Trump will deliver a policy speech on immigration today, but first he's traveling to Mexico to meet with that country's president. As NPR Sarah McCammon reports, the Republican presidential nominee was invited to Mexico City, as was Democratic rival Hillary Clinton. The real estate developer announced on Twitter that he has accepted the invitation of Mexican President Enrique Peña Nieto and looks forward to meeting with him. Peña Nieto's Twitter account also confirmed the meeting, tweeting in Spanish that Trump had accepted the invitation to meet in private. Peña Nieto also tweeted that he'd invited both major U.S. presidential candidates to meet to discuss the U.S.-Mexico relationship. Trump kicked off his campaign last year by claiming that Mexico was sending criminals, including rapists, to the United States. He frequently promises to make Mexico pay to construct a wall along the southern border. Peña Nieto has said there's no scenario in which Mexico would pay for the wall. Sarah McCammon, NPR News. Hillary Clinton is in the battleground state of Ohio today. The Democratic presidential nominee will address the American Legion's annual convention in Cincinnati. Firefighters are using helicopters to dump water on wildfires burning in Southern California. About 700 people were evacuated from their homes this morning in Riverside County. Cal Fire Captain Scott Visiak says crews are utilizing every resource available. We're bringing everything out on this. You see we've got agencies from all around Southern California here, as well as all the air support and dozers that have been coming in. There have been reports of minor injuries. The blaze was about 10 percent contained as of last night. Turkish military remains active in northern Syria as tensions with Kurdish fighters continue. The Turkish cabinet minister says the U.S. has not kept its promise to keep Kurdish militias east of the Euphrates River. NPR's Peter Kenyon has more. 
The state-run Anatolia news agency quotes Turkey's EU minister as saying it's unacceptable that some Kurdish fighters remain west of the Euphrates around the city of Manbij. He appeared to be responding to comments from the U.S. military that most fighters with the Kurdish YPG militia are now back east of the river, after fighting alongside Free Syrian Army units to take Manbij from Islamic State control. Turkey considers the YPG fighters allies of its own outlawed Kurdish militants, and the government says it won't have either the Kurdish fighters or ISIS controlling territory near the Turkish border. Peter Kenyon, NPR News, Istanbul. Starting today, Americans are able to take commercial airline flights to Cuba. The JetBlue flight took off this morning from Fort Lauderdale and landed in Santa Clara. Stocks are trading lower at this hour on Wall Street. The Dow was down 93 points at 18,360. The Nasdaq Composite down 23 points. The S&P 500 down 11. This is NPR News in Washington. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has opened the door to free trade talks with China. As Dan Karpinchuk reports, he's on a week-long visit to China aimed at deepening ties between Beijing and Ottawa. Trudeau said the two countries would take steps to improve trade and investment, boost tourism, expand cultural exchanges, address climate change, and explore a possible free trade deal. His counterpart, Chinese Premier Li Keqiang, said Canada and China would launch a feasibility study on an eventual free trade deal. There are no negotiations underway at this point, but there have already been ongoing technical discussions on free trade. A recent survey found that a growing number of Canadians support free trade with China. Trudeau didn't bring up human rights issues directly, but said he highlights a number of consular cases whenever he has the opportunity to talk with Chinese leaders. For NPR News, I'm Dan Karpinchuk in Toronto. The State Department says it's reviewing a video released by the Afghan Taliban showing an American woman and her Canadian husband. We remain concerned, obviously, about the welfare of Caitlin and her family, and we continue to urge uh, for their immediate release on humanitarian grounds. State Department spokesman John Kirby, Caitlin Coleman, and Joshua Boyle have been held since 2012. In the video, the Taliban threatened to kill the couple and their children if the Afghan government doesn't stop executing Taliban prisoners. Updating stocks on Wall Street, the Dow was down 101 points at 18,352. The Nasdaq Composite down 25 points. The S&P 500 down 12. I'm Winsor Johnston, NPR News in Washington. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include visiting angels, professional caregivers assisting adults in bathing, dressing, meals, and lighthouse work nationwide. Visiting Angels, America's choice in senior home care. Office locations are at visitingangels.com. I'm Terry Gross. Listen to Fresh Air weekdays at 3 on MPB Think Radio. You're listening to Southern Remedy with Dr. Rick DeShazo on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to southernremedy at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Hello, Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, Tennessee, and everybody on streaming today. It's great to be with you. This is Southern Remedy, our Doc in the Bach program every Wednesday. And this is the original version, uh, the Wednesday one, which is pretty much about everything. 
We don't really have a regular theme, but I do bring on experts uh, who are addressing issues that you've sent in by email or so forth. And today we have one of those. We, of course, will take your emergency questions anytime that you want to call them in. We're at one eight seven seven mpb ring uh, We have Dr. Barbara Saunders, who is on the faculty of the Department of Pediatrics here at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, who is a fellowship-trained developmental uh, specialist. Is that what they call you, Dr. Saunders? Yeah, technically, we're, it's called developmental behavioral pediatrics. My wife mm-hmm. tells me I'm all I have developmental disorders. Oh God, <laughs> uh, I'm a little bit old to have those fixed. So uh, anyway, you 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 get on on the front end, and I guess there's a reason to do that because there there are methods, means, uh, things you can do for kids with developmental disorders if you know about them. Is that right? Right. And we know that the earlier we intervene for kids, the better they do long term. So the, the quicker that those issues can be picked up and then the child can be plugged into needed services, the better off they are. We're very interested uh, as physicians and pediatricians about early development. Because the data keeps showing how important what happens before you get in school uh, in the first grade is maybe as important as anything else. Mm -hmm. And we have a big hole there in our system here. I know you trained in Arkansas. Arkansas has been fairly progressive about this, right? Yes, they have been. Um, They've been working throughout the state, actually, to set up developmental teams to do kind of advanced screenings to find kids who maybe fall through the cracks or maybe slipping through and not getting the services they need, trying to get more kids in where they need to be um, and improve outcomes. You're listening to Dr. Barbara and Dr. Rick. It's Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. We're waiting for your calls at one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We do have a special guest, but if you're desperate for information, well, that's our job. We're here to give it to you. We're talking a little bit right now with Dr. Barbara Saunders, who is a pediatric developmental specialist. So uh, I was looking around before you came uh, on air to see if I could find some kind of tool that parents who are suspicious that their kid has problems with milestones, by the way, what are milestones, uh, could use, and I don't find any. So there's two questions. What are milestones, and what do you do if you suspect a problem? So what we consider to be developmental milestones are the things that parents commonly um, remember and think of and jot down in the baby book. When did they sit up, roll over, say their first word, um, toilet train, those types of things. And those cover different um, areas of development, their cognitive development, their language, their motor skills, their social emotional development. It's not just something y'all made up. It's it's scientifically goes along with brain development, stuff like Mm -hmm. that. So those Mm -hmm. are symptomatic of how the biologic stuff is working, right? Correct. Yeah, there is there is a range for each of those milestones, but most children achieve that milestone within a certain range. And so if, if that milestone isn't achieved kind of by the later end of what's considered normal, that's when we worry that there may be something biologic going on causing a problem. It's Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Rick here with Dr. Barbara, and we're taking your calls. We're talking a little bit about... Uh, 
everything uh, today, but we, in particular, we're interested in developmental issues and, and not only uh, intellectual, but also physical and disease-related issues. If you're interested in this, give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. I just had a brief developmental problem but i overcame it so what about this are there things that you can use at home uh, i always use grandmother uh grandmother was pretty pretty good uh about picking up is this kid okay or uh you know am i doing something wrong um i, I think the thing that seems to have changed is that pediatricians are being trained better to pick these problems up and you really do have a resource if you have a pediatrician uh, now, whereas used to pediatricians were sort of, you know, generalist for uh, kids, but they really do get a lot more training. And I know that's part of what you do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what what do uh, what can parents use as a reference points there, other than their other kids? Right, right. There aren't, as far as I'm aware, formal screening things that teachers or excuse me, that parents can do um, at home, but there are some great online resources and also most likely those things are in paper form at their pediatrician's office through um, the Centers for Disease Control, the CDC. They have a great website that lists developmental milestones and at what age each of those should be attained. Okay, the American, so that's cdc.gov, isn't it? Yes, yes. And you could just put in a little thing. Mm-hmm. You little. can put in like CDC developmental milestones in your search engine and it should pull it right up. Okay, just you. run really really quickly mm-hmm. while folks are calling at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four or sending emails at Southern Remedy at mpbonline.org. We have lines open. Please don't wait till the end when everybody calls at once. So would you give us an example of some milestones, say, for an older child? Everybody pretty much knows the rollover and all that stuff, mm-hmm. but we can talk about it if, if folks mm-hmm. don't or are uncomfortable with Say, let's pick a 12-year-old. Mm-hmm. So for for older kids, once they get past that early elementary school age, a lot of it has to do with um, social interaction, academic performance, physical fitness, things like that. So a 12-year-old child should have moved beyond that concrete black and white thinking. They should start to have some appreciation of abstract thinking, obviously not completely where an adult would be, um, but we should see things like that. They ought to be able to, to make and maintain social relationships with their peers. They ought to be um, fully coordinated and able to participate in just regular physical activities. They don't have to be stellar athletes, but they shouldn't have trouble climbing stairs or keeping up with their peers on the PE field, that kind of thing. Okay, well, let me give you a personal example. We'll go to Holly and Quitman and your call. If you give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. I have an extremely bright, um, you know, all my grandkids are extremely bright, uh, gifted and talented and angels. Uh, uh, four-year-old. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's uh, very precocious developmentally, but she will not have a conversation with me. Mm-hmm. All right. So I try to, since she's so, you know, obviously gifted and talented, I will sit her down and I'll say, well, what did you do uh, at uh, kindergarten today? And she says, Nothing. And then I'll say, what are your favorite toys? And she'll give me a one-word answer. Mm -hmm. And then I'll say, um, let's talk about current affairs. And she'll look at me and go turn on the television. (laughs) Uh, How do I know if a 
four or five year old kid that doesn't interact with that kind of what I would expect mm-hmm. uh, is, is that's normal or abnormal. Mm-hmm. I realize it's normal, but right, how, right. How, how do you know for sure? Well, you have to, to take into account the whole picture. If everything else seems to be on track um, and she seems to understand what you're saying to her and it doesn't seem to be a receptive language issue, she's learning well, so you don't think it's an intelligence issue. Could it be that she's shy? Could it just be her personality? Yes, of course. If there are other areas, though, that seem to be also impacted, then that's when you would want to seek um, the advice of your pediatrician or potentially even a specialist to be sure there isn't a receptive language problem or something along the lines of a social pragmatic communication disorder or even an autism spectrum disorder. But you have to look at the child as a whole um, to really be able to determine that. Okay, well, it looks like Holly's going to tee up the uh, MMR uh, autism. I hope this will be the uh, one call on this topic because we had a whole program on it not recently. But go ahead, Holly, what's going on? Holly? Hello, Holly? Holly, we're coming to you. Just hang on just a second. Uh, We're having some connectivity stuff, but we hear you on the back phone, so we'll get you teed up in just a second. Uh, And we'll tee you up if you call us at 1-877-672-7464. Hey, Holly. Hey. What's happening? Uh, Just just had a question for you. Um, I wanted to know if you have any updated information on the scheduled MMR shots in reference to what effect they may have on autism. Okay, and let me let me uh, let me uh, add on a question I have. I was very surprised to hear one of the TV doctors uh, on one of the national networks this week, uh, not uh, talking about immunizations, mm-hmm. uh, support this idea of spacing them out and not giving them together, which is another part of this whole vaccine Mm -hmm. confusion going on. So help Holly and me figure out what's going on Mm -hmm. here. Well, the initial study that was done by Dr. Wakefield years and years ago that brought on the concern of autism being related to vaccines, um, unfortunately, was just an untrue study, and the data was falsified, and that led to a lot of fear on the part of parents and doctors, and that's completely understandable. So the guy was a crook? Pretty much, yeah. He actually lost his medical license, um, and and the uh, journal that initially did his um, article actually had to to put a retraction in and say that the data that his data was not um, true data um, and there have been studies over the last 10 years lots of studies that have tried to replicate his data to see if maybe we were wrong and he was right and so far no one has been able to reproduce the results he got um, and that was specifically looking at autism Yes, autism related to vaccines, yes. There was some concern that it may be related to a, a mercury byproduct called thimerosal that's in some, that was in some vaccines. Um, that has actually been completely removed from almost every vaccine we give to children. The only thing that it might still be in would be a flu vaccine, and it's not in all of them. So the, the scheduled vaccines that children get in their early childhood years, none of those contain thimerosal anyway. They took it out just to be safe um okay so the mississippi motto uh that i have been taught is where there is smoke there's some fire 
Are you saying there's no fire here on the autism deal? As far as we know, there's no good scientific evidence to prove a link between any of our vaccines um, causing autism. Okay, so uh, Holly, we're going to come back to you and make sure your question's answered. So what about the scheduling deal? The only reason to do the scheduling, I would think, would be to prevent autism or other complications. Mm -hmm. And there are complications in these vaccines. Mm -hmm. Children who have um, a known medical reason to not receive a vaccine at all or to have a spaced out schedule, um, we do that here in Mississippi. We're actually known around the country for having one of the best immunization programs in the country. Um, And there are other states who've had more lax um, laws about vaccines and are now backtracking and trying to become like Mississippi, which is great. That's one thing we're at the top of a list for that we want to be at the top of a list for. Um, So when would you space them out? If a child had some sort of severe immune reaction to vaccines, kids with specific mitochondrial disorders sometimes react that way. That's a muscle problem, usually? It can be, mm-hmm, and developmental issues. And so if there's a disorder that really indicates the need, that would be perfectly appropriate. Or if the child had, you know, really, really high fever, not 101 or 102, or even a, a febrile seizure related to multiple vaccines given at once, that may be another reason to space it out. Moms and dads, you're missing out on an opportunity to talk to a real developmental expert here. There aren't many of them. We got two in Mississippi that I know of. I think that's it. And uh, so uh, give us a call. We're at one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. It's Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio, your doctor call-in show. Let's go back to Holly. Holly, did that cover what you needed? Um, I just wondered what the latest current information was on that decision, and she clarified that it was proven not to be true. So I guess that's what I needed to know. But you know what? Um, This has made people crazy, Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's not just the general public. Uh, Pediatricians, uh, significant others, have problems with this. And I, I guess it's because we love our kids so much mm-hmm. that we just we just don't want to take any chance for anything to go wrong with them because we love them and we value them and we spend all our time thinking about them and caring for them and all that sort of thing. So it really comes down to a risk-benefit judgment. Mm-hmm. So, um, Holly, maybe it would help uh, for her to explain this whole risk-benefit thing um, I will tell you that I diagnosed two uh, two whooping cough uh, episodes, uh, two patients with whooping cough last year. They were both adults. They weren't mm-hmm. children. And uh, we are seeing other infectious diseases coming up. So there's an altruistic part of trying to, this so-called herd immunity that she's going to talk about, trying to keep everybody safe. But when it comes down to it, it's all about your kid, your grandkid, uh, your niece, and so forth. So I get it. Um, Let's see if we can talk a little bit more about that. Thank you so much, Holly, for getting us started. We're listening to Southern Remedy on – you're listening to Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio with Dr. Barbara 
Saunders, who are our special guest. We're going to get answers to that question that I just asked and to your question. If you give us a call at 1-877-672-7464, that's 1-877-MPB-RING. This expert is worth pulling over to the side of the road and putting a call in or a text in or a whatever uh, email uh, because there just aren't many of them around. So we'll be right back after this break. Support for MPB comes from the Pediatric and Congenital Heart Center of Alabama at Children's of Alabama, a cardiovascular care center for children in Birmingham, Alabama. More at childrensal.org slash heart. A 26-year-old Marine comes home to his family from fighting in Afghanistan. Within three years, he kills himself. The VA recommended that he go through PTSD testing, but he did not. Because he skipped that testing, his family's not getting much help from the government. Amari Shapiro, the case of Lance Corporal Stephen Koning, later on All Things Considered from NPR News. Today at 4 on NPB Think Radio. This is NPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. You're listening to Southern Remedy with Dr. Rick DeShazo on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to southernremedy at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Welcome back to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo with our special guest, pediatric uh, developmental specialist. That means she's a pediatrician with special training in developmental disorders and normal developmental uh, processes in children and young adults. And we're awfully glad to hear have her. She just came to Mississippi recently. Uh, after growing up in Montgomery, Alabama, we got some listeners in Montgomery up there on Goat Hill and other <laughs> better places. No, I won't say that. Uh, it's a great town, and she did all of her training in Tulsa, uh, home of Oral Roberts University. It is, yeah. Yes. <laughs> and uh, and uh, then did her specialty training at Arkansas Children's Hospital, one of the premier children's hospital in our whole country very very advanced care there and we're just glad to have her here at children's uh of mississippi by the way we're going to have some other special guests coming up on this the original southern remedy Uh, next week we have dr ed manning who is my psychologist uh he sees all of the consultations uh for adults for me uh, we have children uh, psychologists as well, and uh, he is incredibly helpful in stress management and all kinds of psychological issues that we're all dealing with with ourselves and others. Dr. Whitney Herring will be here on September the 14th talking about pediatric obesity, weight control issues in children, 
uh, some of this bleeds over to adults, in fact, most of it. And uh, a lot of parents are very, very concerned about uh, weight in their children. I know my own family has their kids' uh, uh, dietary restrictions that they've implemented now because they're all getting too far off the curve so far as their weight. And uh, we can talk all, all about that on September the 14th. So share that information with your friends and relatives. We have lines open right now at one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, and we'd love to hear your call. So before the break, we were talking a little bit about some pertinent issues. Do you want to? Re- you remember what those were? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. good. Well, why don't you why don't you respond to them? Um, you know, we we mentioned the the vaccine concern related to autism, um, and as you stated, it's not. Um, out of ignorance that people are worried about this. It's out of care and concern for their children. Um, But we've seen across the country vaccination rates dropping. And because of that, we've seen outbreaks of things like whooping cough and measles and other things that had pretty much been completely eradicated from our country. Um, And a lot of those things don't seem like a big deal to parents um, in the grand scheme of things. But having seen um, a child who was partially immunized but not able to be fully immunized um, actually die from pertussis when I was in my training just was heartbreaking and to know that that didn't have to happen made it even worse Um, if it had been something that wasn't preventable not that it would have been okay but it would have been a little easier to stomach as a physician but to know there was something that could have been done because the child was exposed to an unvaccinated child um, that was really hard for me and was is one of the reasons I'm so passionate about vaccines Um, And we're seeing these things not only because of the autism scare, but because of a lot of other reasons, whether it's, you know, folks who are here maybe undocumented and not getting vaccinations coming from other countries, even if they're vaccinated based on that country schedule, but who don't vaccinate for some of the things we do. Um, And once you get below a certain rate, herd immunity is kind of out the window. And that's what Mm -hmm. protects kids and adults. Correct. And there are children who cannot be vaccinated. And those parents and children rely so much on that herd immunity for their children to remain safe and healthy. So a lot of people in my neighborhood employ undocumented workers for various things. Mm -hmm. Um, How if you if you come in contact with someone who is undocumented and has children, how can you appropriately get make sure that they know about getting Mm -hmm. their kids immunized? Mm -hmm. What can you tell them? They can actually um, have their children vaccinated um, at their health department, um, even without seeing a, a primary care physician. And if their children are school aged, the school's going to require proof of those vaccinations or a medical exemption form. Hmm. So and, the health mm-hmm. department, the Mississippi Health Department, has pediatric vaccines available, and they won't they report do. them to the INS mm-hmm. or who all those other people mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. ship them out. Right. Okay. All right. Well, that's good to know. Mm-hmm. What about their own immunizations? Will the health department do those too? That I don't know. Mm-hmm. Okay, it would be something we'd have to check into. Yeah, I think they I think they have some provisions mm-hmm. for that, and we've sent quite a few folks over there from our clinic. So mm-hmm. there you go. Well, we're taking your calls at one eight seven seven MPB ring one eight seven seven six seven six seven two seven four six four. I've almost got it memorized, and I have an email here about a child. Uh, who is about ready to go into the first grade, and the mom wants 
to know how can you tell she's ready. Mm-hmm. Usually the girls are ahead of the boys, right? Is that true? It's true, but not by as much as some people think. Um, a lot of parents and providers kind of do the wait and see thing, especially with boys. But there's really typically not more than just a few months variation. Between oh, good. The boys I thought that was discriminatory mm-hmm. by <laughs> some evolutionary no, thing. No, no. Okay, mm-hmm. so they're really not a big deal, right? Not a huge difference. Okay, mm-hmm. so you're, you're this is your kid's last year in pre-K, like this mom, and so how does she know? that uh the kid is ready for first grade is are preschools licensed these some are and some aren't um you you can access that information though especially if they are licensed through the department of human services um they have specific things that they have to provide to prove that they are um safe and adequately taking care of kids um a lot of the preschools are using some sort of curriculum now to work with kids just because so much more is expected even in kindergarten than when i was probably in first grade right um and so but if your kid is in a program that is not licensed right then that's a red flag that they may not be getting the content that they mm-hmm, need, right? Mm-hmm. Because those workers aren't trained or don't have to be trained Correct. and certified. Yeah. So um, what if you uh, go into the daycare environment? Uh, just about every grandchild I have is in daycare. And, um, and I have noticed the parents do a lot of vetting before they put the kids in there. Some people aren't in a position to do vetting. Mm-hmm. They don't have any money. They only have one choice in their area. How do you vet uh, a place that is developmentally appropriate mm-hmm. for your age of your mm-hmm. child in daycare? Well, you you want to look at several things. Um, one of the, the big things is the number of adults to kids in each classroom. Um, DHS has specific guidelines, so any daycare that is or preschool that's approved by the um, by DHS, they have to stick to that. You want to be sure there are enough adults to give each child the appropriate supervision and also instruction if that's being done. Um, Often, I recommend dropping in. You may not get a full tour, but you get a better idea of day-to-day. Unfortunately, just like with anything else, if they know you're coming, whether it's daycare or somebody's office, they can clean up and make things look really nice, even though that may not be how they always are. So dropping in, but also scheduling a visit, talking with other parents who have kids in those daycare centers or preschools can be really helpful um, because often uh, parents' word of mouth can give you even more information than some of our providers know. I know with resources, sometimes parents know more than I do. So. Those are all good hints. Mm-hmm. One thing that I've found useful, too, is hygiene. Yes. If when you come to uh, pick the kid up, he, he or she has a 20-pound diaper, Right. there's a problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or if there's poop somewhere where it shouldn't right. be or right. dirt everywhere mm-hmm. or something. Uh, that's another red flag. Right. And a lot of programs will have little just daily communication sheets to let you know how often they were changed or if they're working on toilet training, how often they went and did they have accidents? How much did they eat today or their behavior issues? It doesn't have to be elaborate, but just simple things like that can let the parents know that, hey, at least these things are being addressed every time my child is here. We've got Amy from Ocean Springs on the Call and we'll take your call at one eight seven seven MPB ring and don't let me forget to talk about homeschooling uh, mm-hmm. and, and to try to help those parents. Most of them are pretty good at it, mm-hmm. but let's let's mention that too. Hey, Amy, thanks for your call. 
Hi, how are you doing? We're great, and we appreciate you calling in. What's going on? Sure. Um, well, I have grandkids. I have uh, four grandkids, two boys and two girls. And um, my oldest grandson is 10, the second one is 7, and then the girl's 5, and then the baby's 2. But um, the boys are still bedwetting, and, you know, they're wearing pull-ups. And um, I think it's going to be... A problem for the 10-year-old as he wants to start spending the night or joining the Boy Scouts and going camping, and I'm really concerned about that. And, so, um, so are the boys in the same family? Yeah, they're all. Are I they're have all, only one daughter. So okay, yeah, so you, all, you've got four grandkids, and they're all in the same family. Yeah, Sounds like and, a wonderful family, by the way. What a great is. mix. Yeah. Well, the, um, the dad also had issues with that when he was growing up, like, until he was like 14 or something it was really a shaming thing like when he would go camping he'd have to have his own tent because his sleeping bag would be oh wet. man this is as a teenager. that's tough isn't it i know so they're thinking it's genetic so, so what have they done so far do you know have they seen their pediatrician the kid doesn't have any urinary problems and stuff like the urinary I, tract problems i think they've done that they uh-huh. do have an appointment with a, a psychiatrist a psychologist child psychologist now i think Okay, well, you got an expert here. Let's see what she says. Well, you, you always want to rule out any kind of medical problem, whether it's an overactive bladder or some sort of structural problem that causes the child to not be able to hold their urine. Um, and if those things are ruled out, then you want to look into behavioral things. So how do you do that? Do, the pediatrician is not a urologist. Do they, Correct. Do they all have to be seen? This child's 14. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Should they have all had a urology thing, or are the pediatricians able to handle it? I think pediatricians are able to rule out some of the bigger things. And in kids where it's not really clear, those are the ones that may need to go see a nephrologist or a urologist mm-hmm. to have a, a more specific workup. And it's so much easier now with these ultrasounds right. because you don't have to have all that sticking and mm-hmm. dye and mm-hmm. radiation. So most right. all that is just nothing mm-hmm. to get to mm-hmm. do, right? Right, yeah. Much less invasive and much much more easily done now for sure. Um, once you rule out the medical things, you just want to be sure you have some things in place that seem like common sense after someone mentions them, but I've been guilty of some of these things as well. Um, Like not letting the child have anything to eat or drink within an hour, hour and a half of bedtime. If they have nighttime medicine, only just a tiny sip of water. Um, I always tell parents nothing caffeinated after school usually, um, just because caffeine can act as a diuretic and make you have to go to the restroom. Um, making sure they empty their bladder completely before bed. And some kids, you even have to set a clock and wake them up to go during the night to prevent the wetting and, and to help them stay dry. Constipation is another big thing that can lead to bedwetting and urinary accidents that sometimes folks forget about. So, really, if you're, I, I didn't know that. If your abdomen is full of poop, mm-hmm. it's going to press down on your bladder more. And so sometimes that's the issue medically. And once that's um, better controlled, we see wetting decrease. Yeah, constipation mm-hmm. is um, a big, big problem in overachieving kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, Miralax is a blessing from yes. heaven. Yes, it is. Uh, we, maybe if we get some calls about mm-hmm. constipation in kids, we can talk about that because it's a whole different thing. Amy, uh, what other issues do you want to talk about related to that? Did we get what you needed? You did. I appreciate your help. I think those are good, good ideas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we had uh, we had an experience with this, and I think the the thing about waking the kid up, we set a clock, which we hated, uh, and woke ourselves up mm-hmm. and had the get, kid get up and urinate during the night. And after a while, that fixed it. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, but, All right. But usually these are very deep sleepers. Right, exactly. I mean, you don't just urinate in your pants, uh, you know, for fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, these yeah. kids are really psyched out. Mm-hmm. And uh, so sometimes getting them up, and that, that's helpful. Mm-hmm. But uh, I know well, that I the. Have one more question. Okay. Um, what is the normal time when kids usually start being able to, you know, not wear the pull up and go? you know, mm-hmm. appropriately. So during the day, we should see by the time a kid's about five or so, be dry and stay clean during the day. At night, it is a little older, but usually by six or seven, especially by the time you hit that eighth birthday, we should see kids staying dry at night. Um, there are some other behavioral things you can do, like a bedwetting alarm, which is supposed to go off if it gets wet, even with just a small amount of urine. Um, and until things get better, it's actually kind of nice. Some of the companies that do pull-ups and that type of thing now have little inserts that go in regular underwear. So it's not so embarrassing for the child if they do want to spend the night out or that kind of thing while you continue to work on them being able to stay dry at night. Well, a 14-year-old, though, that's a stigmata-inducing. Right. That's got to be fixed. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there's lots of tricks. And if the local pediatrician doesn't get it fixed, they need a referral somewhere right. to get that mm-hmm. sorted out. Because yeah. I'm sure... He is really self-conscious about that. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Amy, for your call. We appreciate it. And if you want to know more about this, you can send us an email at Southern Remedy at MPB Online, and we'll send you an information sheet. We still have some lines open. We're at 1-877-MPB-RING, 1-877-672-7464. Or you can send us an email at southernremedy at mpbonline.org. We're still with you, so give us a call. Catch up on past episodes and hear any of the MPB programs you've missed on the MPB Public Radio app. Available on iTunes and Google Play. Listen live to MPB Think Radio and MPB Music Radio. Search MPB Public Radio. This is Mississippi Public Broadcasting. If you're print impaired, MPB's radio reading service is here for you. Our dedicated team of volunteers bring the world of news and entertainment to you. For information and to see if you qualify, call us at 601-432-6301. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. You're listening to Southern Remedy with Dr. Rick DeShazo on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to southernremedy at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Hey, welcome back to Southern Remedy. It is our pleasure to be with you here today right before the Labor Day weekend. And those of you who are listening to us uh, on Sunday at 6 a.m., we say, hey, thanks for getting out of bed. You must be uh, cooking out. Uh, And uh, so we're talking with Dr. Barbara Saunders, who is one of our two uh, uh, fully trained, fellowship trained uh, pediatric 
developmental specialist in our center. What is the name of that center at UMC now? It's called the K Center, Center for Advancement of Youth. We actually have four physicians. It's just that we have varying um, amounts of clinical time. So Dr. Cindy Field is with us part-time, Dr. Kimberly Stringer is full-time, and then Dr. Susan Buttress, our division chief, is the other. And we just added a fantastic nurse practitioner, Lauren Elliott, who's given us some help with some of our oh, kids, that's too. Wonderful. So it's been, we're doing our best. <laughs> yeah, it's been very, very uh, overwhelming Yes. Uh, up until you guys came on board mm-hmm. to get these kinds of consults. And you've always been there for us. But I have sent a lot of behavioral issues, uh, parents in bringing their kids in in tears because Johnny has been suspended for the third time in the first three weeks of school and is fighting with other kids. And the parents are the, you know, they've been taking the kid to church every Sunday and they take the kid to camp and they do special things and they try to have sleepovers, but he gets kicked out of sleepovers mm-hmm. because he acts out. And the girls, uh, it seems to be a different thing. It seems to be just don't get along. Nobody talks to them. They're by themselves. They don't fight physically like the boys do. What What is the deal on this? Well, it really depends on the kid and the situation. But there are a lot of behavior issues that often either are very apparent from early on or sometimes don't show up until later um, in school. And there can be a lot of different reasons for it. There can be learning issues or developmental delays, language problems. There can be behavioral disorders like ADHD or oppositional defiant disorder. Um, Sometimes it's strictly related to social issues and the household situation. So there's a lot of different things that can cause those behavioral problems. And based on what the cause is, that helps us figure out what we need to do for the child. Okay, so you spend a lot of time with detective work trying to make sure it's not chemical, biochemical mm-hmm. stuff like yes. ADD mm-hmm. and ADHD and so forth, uh, and or situational. Right. Uh, since 50% of marriages are now breaking up, breaks my heart, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's the divorce issue always comes up. And let me just address that. We're going to go to Greenville and Jeff in just one second in your call. We're at one eight seven seven MPB ring. Um, the, talk a little bit about divorce. What it, I've, some of the children that I have taken care of over the years have actually done better after the divorce. They have all their behavioral problems mm-hmm. during the process, and then when things get stabilized, they do better. So I think a lot of divorced parents get a bad rap primarily from the grandparents mm-hmm. uh guilt trip about this the the is are there data on this um there is you know i don't know a lot of the specifics that's one thing that is not kind of in my wheelhouse but often it's that instability rockiness especially if it's not an amicable situation at the time of the separation or divorce. But when there are, when things are stable, whether it means stable and mom and dad are in the home together or stable and mom and dad are not in the home together anymore, that plays a big part in it. Kids need stability. They need consistency. They need the same behavioral expectations and consequences everywhere they go. And it's when we have households that have different expectations, different discipline, different consequences, that's when we see a lot more behavior problems. 
problems because it's hard for kids to know, okay, well, I'm at mom's house now and she lets me do this and I'm not going to get in trouble, but then dad doesn't let me do that or grandma lets me do this. And so if it's different everywhere they go, it's not fair of us really to expect them to be able to learn what's expected. So I guess what that means is um, those parties really need to talk and have similar boxes that kids operate in. Exactly. And that rarely happens because everybody's mad at everybody else. Right, right. And they're thinking of me rather than the child. child, Yeah, Yeah, so the guilt goes back the other direction, Mm -hmm. doesn't it, a lot of the Mm -hmm. time. Hey, Jeff, what's going on in Greenville, one of my favorite places? Oh, not a whole lot. Oh, uh, I bet you got something going on. Labor Day's coming up. Oh, no, not not too terrible much. Are you going to barbecue? Uh, I might. Yeah, I might okay. Well, let me tell you how we barbecue. We have this really great place down the street from our house called the Barbecue Pit, and uh, we go down there and buy it. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a plan in the heat. Yep. What's your question? Um, I have a, a six-year-old daughter that has basically been uh, had a lot of constipation um, pretty much her whole life, and we're not. I'm just curious as to what what that cause may be, or uh, what uh, uh, what to do about it. Diet thing, or what you might be able to tell me about that. And now, what is constipation? How often is she pooping a week? Normally, I guess now at this point, she's probably having a bowel movement every other day. We ask her every day, you know, has she had a bowel movement? Was it easy? Was it difficult? Mm-hmm. Uh, usually it's difficult. Are you using laxatives or what are you using? We do. We do. You mentioned Marilax earlier. We use that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. You know, it kind of. I use Miralax, and I think, well, you know, this child can't have been on Miralax for a whole life. I don't, I don't know how healthy that is. Okay, well, you get some answers on that. Is she, is she? How old is she? She's six. And is she doing well in school and happy and having friends? Oh yeah. Okay, yeah. and your household environment is stable. You're not going yeah. through a lot of turmoil in your home. No. Okay. No, no. Good. That's what we need to know. Mm-hmm. What about it? Mm-hmm. Well, first off, Miralax is great because it's not a stimulant laxative like some of the other things that can cause cramping and pain and discomfort. And because it's not a stimulant laxative, your gut does not become dependent on it, which is nice. Um, Part of what it does is bring more liquid or or fluid into the colon to help it make, make it easier to pass a bowel movement. And the liquid is a big key. A lot of kids don't drink enough, especially enough water, um, and that can be one thing to contribute to constipation. Um, a lot of kids don't get enough dietary fiber. They're not eating good raw fruits and fresh veggies and things like that. Um, also, sometimes there can be a social aspect to it, especially in little kids, preschool, kindergarten, if the bathroom is one of those in-the-classroom-type bathrooms, they get embarrassed. Or even if they have to go with their classmates, they don't want to be made fun of. 
Um, and some kids, it's a sensory issue. The loud toilet flushing scares them, or if Gee, the water, I never thought of that. If the water splashes up on their bottom, that freaks them out. You I know? never thought of mm-hmm. that. And so there's a lot of different things it can be. And then yeah, we put in some of those new toilets and go. <laughs> right. <laughs> I can Very see how that might yeah. be a problem. Right, right. Um, And it becomes a cycle because they hold, and then the next time they do have a bowel movement, it's painful, which makes them not want to have a bowel movement and hold. And it just becomes this cycle that can be hard to break. But one thing that I remember very clearly from my training, one of the the, um, GI docs taught us was it's normal for a child to have one bowel movement every four days or four bowel movements every day. It's not necessarily just the con- uh, the frequency, but is it large enough to clog the toilet? Is it painful? Is it causing bleeding? Things like that. And or if red flags. Right, right. And if a child poops once every three days, but it doesn't hurt and it's not tearing their little bottom and making them bleed and it's not clogging the toilet, that just may be their pattern. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I learned that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the people, most normal people I know have you know, one or two bowel movements, adults, a Mm -hmm. week, which Mm -hmm. to me is mind-boggling. Right. Uh, And so, anyway, that's good. Let's talk a little bit about how to use Miralax, which Mm -hmm. is now one of my favorite medications. Mm -hmm. Uh, The good thing about it is it doesn't have a taste to it. Right. So you can put it in anything. It'll Mm -hmm. dissolve in anything, Mm -hmm. preferably something warm like warm water. Mm -hmm. But you can – we have kids who are using it in in juice. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's better if it's sort of warm mm-hmm. or anything. And the big problem that I, I have seen is is that people don't escalate the dose right. till the time it works, or they don't make sure the kids have enough fluid because Correct. it doesn't work if, right. you, if you don't have fluid. Right. So it, the cap on it is an adult cap. Mm-hmm. And they usually say using a cap, don't use without your doctor and so forth. Right. Well, don't ever, don't please don't call me about using Miralax. I've never <laughs> had a problem with it. I don't think it. There's no data to suggest it has a problem. It's sort of like eating uh, all bran. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the same difference. So just learn how to use it. So I right. usually titrate it up until they have whatever they want a bowel movement every other day mm-hmm. or a bowel movement once a day, mm-hmm. and that it's a form stool, mm-hmm. and I don't want them to have runny stool because that right. gives them hemorrhoids, mm-hmm. and then back down to the least dose, and then see if I can take them off after three or four weeks if they've sort of gotten regular because right. some kids just don't have a regular time mm-hmm. to go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. How do you use it? Everybody has their own tricks. Right. Um, that's usually what I do is I start – and, and increase until they reach that frequency. With kids, often you want it a little soft, softer than maybe an adult, but not runny. Um, one thing that some parents uh, misunderstand is they think the child's having diarrhea, so they're not constipated, but often there's a larger piece of stool blocking the colon, and so just that watery stool's coming out, so that's something to think about. Um, but then kind of go back down to where you're having a, a soft form stool, you know, every day, every couple of days. Um, and then, like you said, we certainly try to get kids back off of it, even though it's not habit forming, you don't become dependent on it. If you can get by without it, that's great. Um, yeah. Sometimes doing supplementary fiber, like fiber gummies, or um, there's the the fiber stuff that's kind of like Miralax. So you can dissolve it and you can even put it in spaghetti sauce, according to the commercials, but add that to the diet can help too. Yeah, I really like Benefiber a yes, lot more than than Metamucil mm-hmm. because if you take a lot of Metamucil and don't get the fluids, you can concrete your entire gut. Right. 
So and people are sloppy to start with, mm-hmm. not getting enough fluid, especially in this time of the year. Yeah. So, so if you're going to use one of those, uh, I have no stock in Benefiber. Please send me some immediately. <laughs> uh, uh, but that would be the one, especially in yeah, kids, right. that I would use, and it's safe for kids as it well. Is, uh-huh. Yeah. So you know, you got things over the counter now that can fix this problem, but kids also use this as a way to manipulate. Oh, definitely. Um, if they're if there are issues with behavior or they're anxious or um, mood problems, that's one thing a kid can control, especially once they're toilet trained. And so they can use it to get what they want. So or that need. takes mm-hmm. us to the next topic we got an email about, and that is eating. The way that I see my grandkids control things is, yeah, the stool thing. And the other thing is, I don't eat that. Mm-hmm. I don't want that. I want mac and cheese right. or nothing. Uh, what what do you do with kids mm-hmm. who are picky eaters? Mm-hmm. Do you just ignore it? Yes and no. It depends on other things. If it's a completely neurotypical child and they're just a picky eater, you can handle it in a different way than, say, a child with severe autism or something of that nature. But um, I always tell parents to still put the food they prepare on the plate in front of the child and encourage them to at least try it. With super picky eaters, keeping it on the plate is a celebration, and you celebrate every tiny little step towards eating it, playing with it, licking it, smelling it. Um, so you do reinforce. Yes. You, you don't just ignore it. Right. You want them to to make steps towards trying those new foods for okay, sure so you, and you, you don't want to be a short order cook either what, what do you how, how do you say that again how you encourage the good good eating what is it you do well it depends on how picky the child is for kids who like throw the food off the plate or the tray when it's presented if they tolerate it sitting on their plate for five minutes that's a big deal and you celebrate that and encourage them for doing that and then if they touch it or Put their spoon in it. That's a big deal. Every little step, you want them to get the attention for the positive behavior and not the negative behavior of chunking the food off their plate um, because they want so, attention. So when they do the negative thing, do you, it's, I know more about raising dogs than kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, they tell you when a dog poops in the floor, you just don't look him in the eye. You turn your back on him. You clean right. it up. And you don't say you're awful. Right. Is that the same behavior you use with yeah kids? you really want to use kind of purposeful planned ignoring and that means that like you said no eye contact no smiling no words nothing because any of those things give the child attention and that's usually all they're wanting hey we got a question here an email says what resources does the state have to treat behavior issues in a delinquent teen that appear to be related at least in part to food allergies and environmental toxins the teen has ADHD as a child and has struggled in school all along. I don't know specifically about the food issues, um, but there are community mental health facilities throughout the state that offer both behavioral counseling and medication management services if they're needed. And those are probably the best bet statewide. There are also some organizations that do behavioral counseling like Mississippi Children's Home Services, Youth Villages, who have programs as well, even some intensive outpatient programs that we can use for kids who sound like this child with pretty severe problems in an effort to keep them from being put inpatient for treatment. And I I realized one thing today that I didn't know is actually this center that you're working in Mm -hmm. uh, is a a resource for the providers. the Correct. family medicine people, in this case, the allergist, 
mm-hmm. uh, the pediatrician, uh, whoever, uh, that needs some help on referrals mm-hmm. like this, they can actually call, what's the name of that center again? The K-Center, C-A-Y, the Center for Advancement of Youth. Okay, mm-hmm. and that's that's at UMC, and they can help your doctor find the right resource right. if they don't know which one to refer to. Right. If, if they feel like the issue is the need for some type of therapy or resource, um, we recognize the fact that our wait list is long and are doing everything we can to get kids in more quickly, but pediatricians can call us and we can give them some information as well. Boy, it's been great to have Dr. Barbara Saunders with us. I think you've learned a lot. I certainly have. We'll be back next week with Ed Manning and psychiatry and psychology and witness Herring the week after that in pediatric obesity, but we'll always take your call uh, at Southern Remedy. It's been great to have you this week. This is a uh, production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio with a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Next, it's NPR's Here and Now, right here on MPB Think Radio.